I'm going to ask you for the next few moments to give me like your undivided attention. Now, when I was in school, and that's been a couple of years or so ago, but when I was in school, I've heard this more than once. Thank you. I've heard this more than once. When a teacher would stand up, it wasn't like I heard it every day or every week or every month, but from time to time, at least when I was growing up, uh, I would hear a teacher say, and maybe they were just talking directly to me, uh, I would hear a teacher say something like this, I want you to put your thinking cap on. Do you ever hear that? I want you to put your thinking cap on. Now, I'm about to encourage a lot of you parents here because a lot of you have kids that, let's just say it this way, they are not so compliant. And now, if that, you know, it's, it's, it's okay uh, if, if that is true, if you've got a compliant child and you have a non-compliant child, there's sort of one or two. Uh, how many of you, it's nothing to be ashamed about, my parents had several non-compliant children. But how many of you, you've got a non-compliant child or at least the remnants of what you think could be? Just sort of wave your hand like this, and I'm about to encourage you. This, this is a fact. Um, in the 12 years before I went to college, I got, how many of you remember the days when you could get beat in school? Does anybody remember those days? All right, I grew up when you could get beat in school. And so I got at least, this is not a joke, this is not an exaggeration, I got at least one paddling in school every year from my first through 11th grade. That is a fact, at least one. Starting in first grade all the way through 11th, my senior year was the only, only year that I did not get at least one paddling. So I say that, how many of you parents feel encouraged already? If your kids need a lot of correction, a lot of correction, good chance is they're going to grow up to be a pastor. Isn't that good? So I'd have a teacher say something like this. I'd like for you to put your thinking cap on. Now, it was not as easy when I was in school to find my thinking cap. I could find my sleeping cap. I knew where it was. I could find my eating cap. I could certainly find out where my goof-off cap was. But it's a whole nother deal to put on my thinking cap. But from time to time, fortunately, I ended up doing, uh, doing good in school. How, I don't know, by the grace of God. I ended up completing my four-year undergraduate degree in a little bit less than three years. Don't necessarily recommend that, but I was able to do that. So when necessary, my point in that is when I needed to put my thinking cap on it may have been difficult to find, but it was in there somewhere, and I would put it on. So I'm asking you, because you may have had a late night, or you maybe have had a crazy weekend already, and it's dark in here, and these seats recline, and you may just want to coast for the next few moments. And I hope that you will not. I hope that you will be putting your thinking cap on even now, because what I want to talk about is hugely important. Now, if you have been here recently, you know that we've been talking about religion in this series, this title of the series, Jesus Christ greater than religion. But we've been talking about religion in a different kind of way. And a couple of observations concerning religion before we really get into like the heart of this talk. Here's something, here's an observation about religion. Everybody wants to believe that their religion is the right religion. Isn't that true? It doesn't matter whether a person, what their religion is, what their choice of religion is. Nobody wants to hear something like this. Hey, uh, your religion is all wrong and my religion is all right. 
So your religion, whatever, what you've grown up, what you've heard, what you've learned, and uh, your religion is everybody, everybody wants to believe that their religion is the right religion, and they probably wouldn't say it this way, but based on the fact that they want so strongly for their religion to be the right religion, the outworking of that is they're hoping that all the other religions are wrong. Now, we need to talk about that because all religions can't be right, and hopefully we'll have a moment to address that because religions believe among them uh, such uh, diverse things among them. Here's a second observation about religion. A lot of people believe that all religions ultimately lead to the same place. So you just choose a religion and you give it your best effort and you be really sincere. Ultimately, this is what a lot of people believe. I know, I know, but it's how people, a lot of people believe. You just pick one and you just go that path. You be very sincere, do the best you can because ultimately all religions are gonna end up at the same place, God or whatever you're gonna call him, but just pick a religion, be very sincere. That, that is not recommended, um, certainly. But all, and the reason why is religions are not all the same, because there are some major, major discrepancies among various religions. We just have to accept that. It's, it's just a fact. You line them up side by side. I'll mention something about that in just a moment. But there's so many uh, distinctions and diverse paths that religions take that they can't all be right. And all religions can't lead to the same place. Now, granted, there are, and we need to give this up and not be afraid to mention it or to talk about it. And so I'll just toss it out to you. The, re the reality is there are some similarities. And there are, in some areas, some overlap. And among different religions. And I'll, I'll give you one example. Uh, one example would be the goal, what we would call the golden rule or has been labeled the golden rule. Do, do unto others as we would have them do unto us. And, and a lot of different religions, although there's dichotomy between the two and there's a lot of discrepancies uh, among the various religions, uh, a lot of them still have some version of what would be the golden rule. So that would be a commonality. It doesn't mean the religions are the same because they're huge differences on like some major areas, but that would be a commonality. Now, many of you have heard this name before, C.S. Lewis. A lot of you have heard that name. Uh, years and years ago, apparently C.S. Lewis uh, researched in quite detail various religions and then concluded that among, listen to this now, that among major world religions that many of them held these eight things, these eight things in common, what, what could be referred to as these eight alt-twos or alt-not-twos. And so he said among all the major religions, although there could be great, great, great mammoth discrepancies, they can't all be right. Nevertheless, there were some commonalities in this regard in eight areas, he said. Uh, area number one, don't harm others with word or deed. That seemed to be quite pervasive. He said, C.S. Lewis did among a lot of different religions. Here's another one, be kind to your siblings. How many of you know that's not easy? But be kind to your siblings and to the elderly. I was watching a couple of my grandkids interact over donuts today, and, and I need to remind them of that, uh, you know. Uh, here's another one. Be honest in all your dealings. A lot of different religions, although there's huge discrepancies, would say you ought to be honest in all your dealings. Here's another one. Don't have sex with another person's spouse. Well, that seems rather obvious, doesn't it? Honor your parents. Don't lie. Care for those who are weak. And put other people first. Now, 
Does that mean that all religions are the same? Absolutely not. Does it mean that all religions ultimately are going to lead to the same place? Certainly it does not because there's so much, again, diversity among various religions. But these are, and you got to give it up and just say, yeah, these are some commonalities that you can find among various religions. Here's another observation, something else uh, that various religions have in common, and it is this, it is this. When you take, when you take all of the ought to's, all right, you take all, whatever that religion, what all of their, because every religion has their ought to's, you ought to do this, or you ought not do that. All religions have its own list of ought to's and ought not to's, and when you take them and you look, this is true among every religion, uh, that when you take all of that, you package it together, and the people that are connected, follow me now, I told you you need your thinking cap on, that when you take the people that are connected to whatever that specific religion is, Here's the reality. Uh, people have a very difficult time trying to keep all the rules. It's just, it's just accurate. Fact of the matter is, uh, for most of you, maybe not all of you, maybe you, a lot of you were not raised uh, around Christians or you weren't uh, Christianity, you were raised in a different religion growing up and it's how your parents were raised and so they chose to, uh, to raise you in a different uh, religion. But uh, a lot of us would be familiar, we've been around, most of us have been around Christianity more than any other religion. And we've got to say, even in Christianity, we don't always do a great job of keeping all the rules, do we? We just don't. I mean, uh, how many of you, how many of you have ever been, this is not a trick question, it's just us being open and honest and transparent with one another. How many of you have ever had a time in your life looking back that you were not especially kind to your siblings? How many of you can look back to a time and you'd say, wow, during that phase of my life, I wasn't really honoring my parents a whole lot. Wave at me if that is that is true. How many of you, you wouldn't, I know you wouldn't, maybe other people would, but you never would. You'd never tell like a big outright lie. But how many of you have ever told just a teensy weensy little white lie? Anybody ever did that? Wave, wave your hand if you didn't. Those of you that didn't, you just did. So that's a whole nother deal. All right, or, you know, have you always put other people first? Have you always? I mean, what do you think? Just saying, I mean, is that, is that easy for us? I mean, when you go uh, to a store and you see a line, are you like, hey, come on, get in front of me. Just come on. I want to put you first. I want to honor you. I know that you've got two and a half carts full of stuff, but get in front of me with my three items. I just want to put, I mean, these, and every religion has the same dilemma. There's this list of ought to's and ought not to's, and we have a tough time keeping the rules. Another way of saying this is every religion, in every religion, there is consistent failure. It just is. So be sure you catch this now because this is really important. The bottom line of all religions, all religions is basically this. You ought not to, if we're dealing with ought not to, you ought not to, you did it anyway, and now there is a problem, you're at odds with God. All right, every religion has that in common. You ought not to, you did it anyhow, and now you've got a problem, and your problem is you're at odds with God or whatever you would call your deity in that particular religion. Furthermore, every sensible person knows, all right, 
whether you're religious or not, whether you believe in God or not, that we struggle not just to live up to the laws of God. You've heard me talk about this before, so I'll only mention it quickly. Not only do we struggle to live up to the laws of God, we struggle to live up to our own standard of behavior. All of us do this. I mean, have you ever done something that you disappointed yourself? Have you ever been ashamed of yourself? Have you ever been like, why did I do that? I knew I shouldn't have done it, but I didn't. And you don't even have to be a church person uh, to feel a, a sense of, of, of guilt or a sense of shame or regret. Um, because here's the thing that human beings have in, co in common. We have a conscience. Now, a lot of people have a, have a seared conscience or they're conscious. When you hear somebody that goes out and does these heinous, heinous crimes, you're like, that person, you know, if they had a conscience at all, they certainly weren't paying attention to it. But those are the exceptions and not the norm. You don't even have to be a church person. You don't even have to be a Christian to at times do something, disappoint yourself, don't meet your own standard. And then as a result of that, you just feel guilty. But here's where an already, again, I told you you'd need your thinking cap this morning. I hope you got it on already. But here's where an already existing problem becomes even more complicated. You cannot, I cannot, we cannot do anything about our own dilemma. We know we should, and we don't, or we know that we should not, but we did it anyhow, and it becomes a problem, and it puts us at odds with God. And this becomes, friends, this becomes, and, and we're talking about it in this series, talking about religion, but in a different kind of way. This becomes the great question that all religions eventually has to address, has to arrive at. It is this. All religions, it doesn't matter, has to ultimately deal with this at the end of the day. The bottom line is, what do I do about my guilt? What do I do about it? I mean, I can't live up to the laws of my religion whatever that religion is. I can't even live up to my own standards. You and I even admit it. We, can't, we don't always live up to our own, uh, our own standards. But what do I do? What do I do about my guilt? What do I do about my shame? All religions have that in common. What do I do about my sin? When I knew I ought to, but I didn't. Or I knew I ought not, but I did it anyhow. What do I do about my remorse? What do I do about my past, my failure, my mistakes? All religions ultimately, ultimately, and that's why I'm excited about what I'm about to share with you. All religions ultimately have to answer that basic question. And I'll come back to this, but what do I do about me? Because in whatever religion I am, I've got these laws, I've got these ought, not to's, oughts, and I, I don't always do, and so that's a problem. And, and the problem is, is, where do I stand now? What do I do about my guilt? What do I do about my shame? Because I, not only can I not live up to the laws, the oughts and the ought not, I, can, I can't even always meet my own standard. Now, Having said what I've just said, entering now into the equation of everything that we've been talking about to this point arrives Jesus. And this is so powerful. And this is so wonderful. Into this situation, everything that we've been discussing for the last few moments arrives Jesus. And Jesus has a message. All right? Jesus has some really good news for every single person born or yet to be born. Jesus has a message for every person, irrespective of who they are, who we are, of, of uh, where they were born or where we were born, uh, what they believe or what we believe or, or how they were raised or how you and I specifically, how we were raised. And Jesus has a message for every person. It is a revolutionary, life-changing message that has an answer for the question that basically every human being has asked at this point. Again, what do I do about me? What do I do about me? What do I do about my past? 
What do I do about my guilt? What do I do about my shame? What do I do about my sin? What do I do about my failure? Now, again, Jesus enters into the fray. You got to get this now. Jesus enters into the fray of all of that. He just enters into the fray of it all, and he has good news. Good news, is, and that's sort of an understatement. We know what it means in a biblical sense. It's like incredible news. And Jesus makes it clear where the intended destination of this message should be, where it should go. Not to a particular group, not to a particular region in the world, but this is a message that Jesus is so passionate about. This is a message that is so meaningful to the heart of God. Jesus makes it clear where he wants the message to go. You know where he wants this message to go? He wants it to go to every nation. Jesus wants this message to go to every culture to every tribe, into every religion. And it is a powerful message. And Jesus enters into the midst of it all, and he's got a message for everybody, no matter who they are, where they were born, how they were raised, what religion they started in. Jesus has a message. And so uh, we're going to get to that. This is actually, I'm going to take you to Romans. This is the Apostle Paul. We've said a lot about him recently, this great early church leader. And so he's talking about it. I want you to see, this is Romans chapter 8, by the way, in verse 1. Look at this with me on the screen. This is such good truth for all of us us. Paul says it. He says, therefore, there is now no, what's the word? Help me out. Condemnation. There's therefore now no condemnation. All right. But here's the rest of the verse for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation for who? For those who are in Christ Jesus. There's therefore now no condemnation. And Paul says this uh, passionately uh, there's no condemnation, but not just indiscriminately, he says, for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, what does condemnation mean? Now, all of us have a sense of what it means. It's a legal term. In essence, condemnation means this. You have been tried. All right? Condemnation is you have been tried. You have been found guilty. And now you stand condemned. You've been tried. I mean, the fact of the matter is, if you and I stood before God, we're like, God, look at what a great, 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 great person. I've been perfect. You know, I've been, you know, I've been compliant. Talking about that early. I've been a good boy. I've been a good girl all my life. Never colored outside of the lines. All the alt twos I did, all the alt knots I never did. And so, God, I've just been perfect, perfect, perfect. And God say, no, 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 no. No. Mm -mm. You've been tried. You've been guilty of breaking so many laws and now you stand condemned. However, and Paul adds this, condemnation is not at stake for any person, as I mentioned, and this is a caveat, for any person that is in Christ Jesus. And what he says, and this is so profound, and I hope you won't miss it, and this is what he's saying, no matter who you are, no matter what your past has been, no matter what your past background, your past sin, no matter what your past failure has been, no matter what religion you've grown up in, once you are connected to Jesus as your forgiver and as your savior, the sentence of condemnation is no longer on the table. Now, how many of you would agree that Jesus' message concerning this is really good news? Okay, three of you did. I do and two others, all right? Now, let me try it again because uh, you've put your sleeping cap on. How many of you know that it's good news that there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus? 
Isn't that good news? It, it's, it's incredible news. But how do we get to that place? How do we get to that place where we know that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Paul continues. Look at it right up here on the screen. This is what he says. This is really important. You've got to follow it or you'll miss it. He said, this is all possible because through Christ Jesus, again, in Christ, through Christ, the law of the spirit of life, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. And he mentions two laws here, and we're going to come back to those in, in just a moment. Now, all of us are familiar with laws, aren't we? We're all familiar with laws. How many of you, all right, again, transparency, openness, how many of you have ever, you don't have to name it, I'm not going to call you up, but how many of you have ever, let's just take our own like American uh, civil laws. How many of you have ever broken the law? Just sort of wave at me like this, all right? Uh, probably everybody has broken law. And hopefully it's been minor things, although it could have been some pretty major stuff. But we know no matter what the law is, there's a certain degree of penalty. How many of you know if you murder somebody, you're in big, big trouble? You're going to spend the rest of your life, quite possibly, uh, in prison because you broke the law. That's like a major, that's a biggie. You murdered, you broke the law. So what do you do? You don't just, uh, you know, have a little temporary probation. You go to prison probably for the rest of your life. How many of you ever broken the law in this regard that maybe you're going slightly faster in your vehicle than what the speed limit was posted? How many of you have ever broken that law? All right. How many of you? How many of you? All right. I'm checking to see how many honest people. How many of you? All right. Let's just, for the rest of us, this will be therapeutic. How many of you have ever got more than one traffic ticket for speeding? Could I just see your hand? All right. I'm in pretty good company. Thank you for admitting that. And so there's laws and, and, and we've all broken the law. Uh, it, it could be murder. Hopefully it's not murder. It could be speeding. It could be, it, it could be a theft. It could be stealing. Uh, perhaps you've heard the story uh, about the lady who she walked into a grocery store and she stole a can of peaches. She stole a can of peaches. And so she was called on the hidden cameras and she was arrested. And so a few days later, she stands before the judge and the judge calls her name. She steps up and, and the judge looks at her and says, ma'am, do I understand this correctly? that you walked into one of our local grocery stores and you stole a can of peaches? She said, yes, Your Honor. That's exactly what I did. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Please don't punish me. I shouldn't have done it. No, I shouldn't have done it. I was raised better than that. But yeah, I wanted that can of peaches and I stole that can of peaches. And he said, really, that's... He said, I don't quite know what to do, you know, about that. It's not like a major, major crime, but you can't walk into stores and just take things that don't belong to you. And so the judge thought for a moment and said, uh, how many... Just asking, how many peaches were in the can? She said, six. I counted them before I ate them. There were six peaches in the can. And he said, all right, there's, therefore, here's your sentence. You're going to get one day in jail for every peach that was in that can. And he struck the gavel and said, you know, dismissed. At that point, her husband stood up and said, your honor, your honor, your honor. My wife is not being completely honest with you. Judge said, really? What do you mean? He said, she also stole two cans of peas. <laughs> you can think about that later. If you don't understand it, ask a friend after service. In verse 2, Paul mentions two laws. You just saw them, two laws that are at work in this world. The law of sin and death and the law of spirit and life. Now, we're going to come back to the law of spirit of life 
Uh, we're going to come back to that in just a moment. But to this point, this point, this is what we've got to understand. How many of you wave at me if you've got your thinking cap pulled on tight? How many of you have got that? All right. To this point in our lives, all of us, all of us, all of us have lived under the law of sin and death. Now, what's that law? That law is any time that there is sin, something dies. All right, that's law. Anytime there is sin, something dies. It happens. I mean, you, you and I could just talk about relationships. Take relationships. Uh, take a relationship with parents. Sin and, you know, problems and stuff. Uh, a relationship with parents can, can, in essence, die. Relationships with your children. Relationships with your friends. There can be a relationship with a business partner that dies. When there is sin something always dies. A marriage relationship can die. Sin destroys our relationship with God. On and on and on. Anytime there is sin. This is, listen, this is not just a thought. This is not just an idea. This is a principle. This is a reality. This is law. You may say, well, I don't believe in the law of gravity. I, you may not believe in it, but I discourage you from jumping off the roof of Cobb Theater after this service just because you don't believe in the law of gravity. You may find that it's actually true. This is the law whether you and I believe it or not. Where there is sin, something dies. But in this same verse that we just saw on the screen, verse 2, Paul mentions a second law. This is a new law. This is a new principle. This is a principle that is available to every single person that has ever drawn breath into their lives. It is a principle, by the way, that can supersede that first principle, the law of sin and death. So what's this law? It is, and you got to catch this, and Paul was just talking about it here as he's contrasting these laws. It is the law of the spirit of life, and this is the law, whereas the law of sin and death is the law that anytime somebody sins, anytime there's sin, something dies. This law, the law of the spirit of life is this. It is the law of forgiveness and grace. It is the law of forgiveness and and grace. And I'll just give you an analogy of how this works. All right. If you've ever been a part of, or you've known about, or you've been in proximity to a relationship, let's say that, that a relationship has been killed. Maybe you're the person that killed the relationship just based on your behavior, what you did, how you acted, what you wouldn't do, or what you were doing, but you killed the relationship. Then you know you know, whether you were in the middle of that or you observed that, you know that if you kill a relationship, then you already know that the relationship is not restored. All right. You got to track with me on this now. That relationship that has been killed and whatever has killed it, that relationship is not restored by making promises. All right. So somebody keeps breaking promises, breaking promises, breaking promises, breaking. I'll do better. I won't do that. I'm going to start doing that. The relationship is broken, broken. Promises have not been kept. Now, uh, that relationship is, is marred. It's killed. It's destroyed. A person, you know, doesn't get back into that relationship by making more uh, promises that are efforts in futility if they've been continually broken, breaking promises. So is the relationship uh, restored by making more promises that probably are not going to be kept? Absolutely not. Is it by trying to be good? All right, I'm going to try to be better. I'm going to try to be better. I know I've tried a thousand times, but I'm going to be try. I'm going to try, or I'm going to minimize my wrong. I'm going to minimize my sin. You know, what I did that destroyed this relationship is not that big a deal. It's more your problem. And again, minimize it because we don't want to take personal responsibility. And we kill the relationship. We kill the relationship, and so we just make empty promises, or we just promise we're going to be good, or we just like, what? I don't know why you're acting this way, because what I did wasn't all that bad, and I can't believe 
people have done far worse. And listen, if, if any of those, those avenues are taken, the relationship, that's not going to restore the relationship. All of us are smart enough to know that the relationship is not going to be restored that way, that nothing significant happens until, until, until the offended party offers some grace and forgiveness, allows the relationship to be restored. So you and I can stand there all day long, minimize what we've done, make excuses for what we've done, pretend that it's their fault, not our fault, make promises that we don't even intend on. None of that is going to restore. The relationship doesn't even, listen, doesn't even have the opportunity to be restored until the person offended says, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to offer some grace and forgiveness. Now, if you miss this, then you have missed a major piece of what God wants all of us to know, and it's this. It is this. God has initiated a relationship with us. God has invited us into a relationship. And you say, well, that's not that shocking. I mean, it's not until you consider all that we've done. I mean, look at all the ways that we have hurt God. I mean, we've disappointed ourselves. We can't keep our own standards, it seems at times. Much less, how can we satisfy the perfect law of God? We've broken the laws of God. It's not just, we can look around and be, you know, sort of sanctimonious and say, yeah, yeah, all these other people, all these other religions and all of that, but that's not me. I'm not a rule breaker. I'm not a law breaker. Really? All the ought to's, have you done them the way you ought to? All the ought nots, have you, have you never violated? Have I never? No, we know there's been plenty of things that we can find right in the Word of God, things we ought to have done, but in that moment, we didn't do them, or things that we knew we shouldn't have done, and, and we've done them. And so what we've done, remember the law of sin and death? Where there is sin, something dies. And so what we've done by our own behavior is we killed our relationship with God. And so we can't come to God and say, all right, God, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to work my way back in. That's what I'm going to do. You know, I'm going to be a great volunteer. I'm going to do this. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to give this. I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to serve here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open up the relationship, God, by my own good words or by my efforts. Or I'm going to be a good boy, good girl. It's going to be by my behavior. I promise to do better this time. It's it's going to be my good deeds. It's going to be, no, listen, that does not work. The relationship is not restored. And all of us know that our relationship with God was broken, was damaged. It wasn't God's fault. It was ours. And yet, what Paul is teaching here in Romans chapter 8 is that God initiated, God invited us into a relationship with him. Now, how do we know this? How do we know this? Let's look at what happens. The next verse is so powerful to me. I hope that it, it captures you as well. All right. So here it is. It's Paul still. Next verse. For what the law, all right, the law, what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature. Read these next two words with me. God did. Can we read them together, together again? God did. One more time. Help me out. God did. Did. What the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, or what the law could not do, what we could do, we couldn't be good enough, we couldn't make enough promises, we couldn't fulfill. What the law was powerless to do, God did. And how did God do it? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man, talking about Jesus' humanity, to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man. 
what the law was powerless, and this is such an amazing teaching. That's why I ask you to put your thinking cap on early. It's such an amazing teaching that Paul has given. It's like you couldn't do it, and I couldn't do it, and we couldn't keep the law, and what the law was powerless to do, because the law couldn't make us righteous. Even if the law could make us righteous, we can't live up to the law. We can't even live up sometimes to our own standards. What the law was powerless to do, God did. What the law was powerless to do, what human effort could not do, what tradition could not do, what religion could not do, this is Paul's message, God did. Look at the next verse, the A part of this verse. We're about to wrap up. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. So what exactly, and with this I'm going to start tying this together, what exactly is the offer that God is making? It is this. That through Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, we can have right standing with God. Right standing with God is now available. And here's our word for the day. Imputed righteousness. Imputed righteousness. And I don't have time to get into that, but I want to just basically mention this. It's only because of Jesus that, that you and I, uh, that this is even possible. It's not possible, just you and I. We know us. It's not even possible. It's only possible because of Jesus. And this is like the greatest change ever. And I want you to get this, all right? I want you to get this. This is like the greatest exchange that has ever been made. What the law was powerless to do. How many of you remember seeing that? Verse 3. What the law was powerless to do, who did something about it? God did. And what did God do? God sent his son. And he condemns sin and sinful men. And so here's the greatest exchange, all right? Greatest exchange, God sent Jesus into the world. And Jesus took upon himself all of our sin. That's part of the exchange. Jesus took upon himself all of your sin, all of your sin, all of your sin, all of your sin, all of my sin, the sin of every person that is alive or has ever lived or will ever live. Jesus, the great exchange, Jesus took all. God, God did something that the law could not do. God did something that tradition could not do. God did something that good behavior could not do. God did something that no religion could do. God sent Jesus into the world and Jesus took upon himself all of our sin and then it's changed. God gives to us his righteousness. How many of you know for you and me, that's a good deal? Jesus took all of our sin and he imputed into us the righteousness of God. We ought to, but we don't always. We're at odds with God and this is a great problem for all religions, but God has a solution for all religions. And this is why we've been talking about in this series that Jesus is greater than religion. Because Jesus, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, Jesus is the answer for every single religion if people will keep looking. Does that make sense to you? That Jesus becomes the answer. 
that I, I, I can't keep these laws. I can't, you know, how do I do this? I can't, I can't, I can't do it. And God says, well, listen, no matter who you are, no matter what your past, no matter where you were born, no matter what you, you're never going to be able to measure up. So here's what I'm going to do. Enter into the equation of everything and all the what is like, what is different, and this path and that path and all paths. And God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to break into the world, break into the world. And I'm going to give you Jesus. And Jesus is going to take upon himself all of our sin. And he's going to die on the cross for everybody's sin, no matter who they are, no matter where they were born, how they were raised, what they started out believing. Jesus is going to die for the sins of the whole world. That becomes God's solution to the problem. So here's how we end. No matter who you are, no matter how you were raised or what you started out believing, no matter what you've done, no matter how long you've carried around with you guilt or shame or failure or sin, what we could have done but we didn't do it, what we should have done but we didn't enter into the fray of all of that, God said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do what the law was powerless to do, what the law was powerless to do, God did when he sent his son Jesus. And Jesus offers to us the promise of grace and forgiveness. The law of sin and death, that's what we've all known. That's how we were born into the world, under the law of sin and death. Sin happens, something dies. But, but God introduced a law that supersedes that, the law of the spirit of life, the offer of grace and forgiveness. So as we wrap up today, I, I don't know where you're standing I don't know how you were raised. I don't know your story. I don't know your background. I don't know what you believe or if you believe uh, anything at all. I'm just saying the end result, the end result is, is in a person and it's in Jesus. And Jesus says, here's what I've chosen to do. God sent Jesus who takes upon himself all of our sin. And in his place, he offers us, if we're willing to take it, grace and forgiveness. Would you accept God's gift to you today? Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes right there where you're at? And if you're here today, and maybe you didn't grow up a church person, maybe you, you grew up in a different religion or you didn't grow up in any kind of religion or maybe you grew up in a home that was atheistic or agnostic and you're just saying, wow, wow, something, I just heard something, God whispered something to me. I'm looking at this a little bit different way now. I haven't really realized just how important that Jesus really is, but now I get it. Now I get it that Jesus came, even, even when my family, even the way that we were raised, even, you know, how I've lived my life. I haven't really given Jesus the time of day, but wow, Jesus died for me. Jesus took my sin upon himself. And now he's offering to me, not death, because I deserve to die. I deserve to be condemned because I've broken God's laws. But he offers me instead grace and forgiveness. Wow. I want to receive that. And if you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I'm not asking you to join our church. I'm not asking you to, you know, that you've got to sign on the dotted line here. This needs, you know, I hope this will be your church home. That's not what I'm asking you. I'm asking you, what are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with Jesus? And if you just say, wow. Never realized Jesus did that for me. Never realized that God did that for me. And I'd just like to get to know Jesus better. I'd just like to just be introduced to Jesus. I'd like to in, introduce my life to him and invite Jesus to come into my life. If that's you, would you just, while nobody's looking around, no head up, no eye open, but you just raise your hand straight up in the air and you just say, I'd like to get to know Jesus better. 
I'd like to give my life to Christ. And you can put your hands down. Father, we just pray that that would be the reality for so many people here. And help us, God, in our own way to be able to take what is such a powerful, powerful message to people that we know and love that live under the law of sin and death and let them know there's a different law, the spirit of life that God offers to them, not because they're a good person necessarily, not because they can earn it or work for it, but because God loves us that he introduces the law of the spirit of life, offering to us grace that we don't deserve and forgiveness that we cannot earn. God, we ask all these things in your name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Love you, everybody. Have an awesome week. See you next week. You don't want to miss it. God bless you, everybody. Love you.